Good afternoon. Once again, I'm Liz Sunderman. I work for the State Library Agency, um, Division of Library Development and Services, at the Department of Education. And we are very lucky to have Justin Henke with us today. And this afternoon, he's going to be talking about forming community partners and being collaborative and innovative and awesome, because everything he talks about is awesome, right? Um, it's a good word. So I'm going to turn this over to Justin. Thanks. Cool. Hi, everybody. Some of you again. Some of you new. Um, this is the keynote, the big speech, what we've all been waiting for. I made this title up on the airplane because I finish all my presentations on the airplane. I don't know why I get really excited about travel, and then I'm like, oh, let's just put it all in caps and put awesome in it. So this is my speech, and I'm Justin. Uh, how many people were in the morning thing? Wow, a lot. There's some people that weren't, right? Two. <laughs> One of, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to hear some similar things, but I'll, a teenager took that picture of me. We have a wall where we display things from uh, Apple TV. We just put on Super Mario Brothers one day, and I stood in front of it, and he said, Justin, don't move. And he captured this, and he said, that's the essence of Justin. And uh, he's 16. And I'm like, I'm encouraging him a lot to like develop his... He's so good with photographs, and he's got this cool thing for his iPhone where he sticks a magnet on it, and he can change lenses. It's insane. Like... I don't know what it's called. I guess if you typed in magnet lenses for iPhone, Google will help you out. Um, it's really cool. I think I have a photo of a photo of that. I like to start out, like this is a conversation. We need to all get to know each other. I've got an awesome chance to know all of you at lunch and so on and so forth. This is my life. This is my family. Haley is my wife and my two boys on the left is Arrow. He's two and a half. He's named after a character in the cartoon, The Point. Does anybody know that? Okay, wow. And then Finn is the long-haired hippie kid on the other side. And he is currently into Daft Punk, which is great. Like, I get to listen to good music, and he gets to have robots, and all is well in the Henke household. Um, my favorite thing about my life right now is my orange house. I painted it orange not remembering that the Tennessee Volunteers football team is orange. So everybody's like, you're a big football fan. And I'm like, what's a football? <laughs> and I have a fence so my dog can run and my kids can run. And we sit on the porch and drink sweet tea and beer because we're 21 and over. And I'm so happy to be here. Um, I came to the Baltimore Aquarium when I was a young child. And I remember it very fondly. And I remember thinking, like, this is so cool. I had a thing for whales, too. I don't think there was a whale there. I don't think there's a whale anywhere in aquariums. But to see water and fish... It all made good sense at the time. Does anybody know who Mark Bolin is? Mark Bolin, for those that don't know, is the lead singer of a band called T-Rex or Tyrannosaurus Rex. Um, they were Tyrannosaurus Rex, and they were a folk band, and then they decided to get really cool and awesome and electric instruments and rock out. Um, Mark Bolin was the dude who was puffing out his hair, wearing glitter jackets, and like 10-inch heels before David Bowie did. So Mark Boland didn't get a lot of respect in his lifetime. He died in 1977, unfortunately. But right around that time, people were starting to dig him and go, like, this is the dude that started it all. Like, Bowie wouldn't exist, and then the talking heads, and who knows what else wouldn't exist without Mark Boland. So I was listening to Mark Boland a lot when I was coming up with this presentation. 
I was like, dude was ahead of his time so much, and librarians are ahead of their time so much. How can I connect this with a beautiful quote? I found this quote. No artist is ahead of his or her time. He or she is the time. It's just the others that are behind the time. We are artists, librarians, community members. We are artists in everything we do. We might not be able to pick up a pen and paper and sketch beautiful things out. We might not be able to do sculptures, whatever. But everything that we do is art. When we talk to our friends, we communicate with people. There's an art form to that. When we're working in libraries, when we're working, it doesn't matter what age group. We are, it's like an art form. You've developed your skills. I've been in libraries now six years. When I first got into libraries, I was very hesitant, a little shaky. I didn't have my shtick down. I didn't know how to talk to people. But as I talk to more and more people, I've got this thing, you know, I'm just in the librarian. I like neat things like Nintendo and T-Rex and stuff like that. And that's who I am. And that's my shtick. And people dig it. People in my community really like it. I've sort of elevated me as the art form. And I think we are all artists. All of our life. All of you that are librarians, you have your specific thing that you're good at. You have many things that you're good at, and you perfect that over all the years. So this is the Innovation Expo. Um, I feel like I should define innovation. And I was when Liz started talking to me, I was like, okay, I should define innovation because um, that's what this thing is called. And what the heck is innovation? And I didn't have an answer until, when did I last work? Thursday. So like I'm total last minute. So I don't know what innovation is up until Thursday. And then it hit me. Some people see this as innovation in libraries. This is the Doc Library Concept Center. It's in Delft, Amsterdam. I probably mispronounced that. When I was in library school, this was the place that I would see on Flickr. Does anybody remember Flickr? Yahoo owns it now. That's crazy. Yahoo still exists. <laughs> you would have think, not anymore. I remember going on to Flickr and looking at this library and thinking, this is innovation. You give kids and teenagers and everybody computers to do whatever they want. They're playing games. If you look behind the computers, there's these little sound bubbles. You can crawl into there, watch a movie, nobody else can hear you. Uh, another thing, other things that they have at the Delft uh, Library, they just have touch panels. Like you can go up to the walls and touch them and you play with them and you learn things. It's like the craziest, coolest library in the world. To me, that was innovative and I really strove for that in my first few years in libraries. But unfortunately, I live in America where there's not a lot of money for libraries. Does everybody know that? Yeah? Um, <laughs> And you know, like, uh, I'll, I'll keep saying this, it's we're working with duct tape and spit to make our programs work. So I saw that as innovation and I quickly realized I'm not gonna get there. So if that's innovation, but I can't get there, how can I also innovate? This is Miss Vicki Prater. I call her Miss Vicki Prater because she is the most Southern woman that I have ever met. Like, sometimes I can't understand her when she talks because she's so Southern, fast talking, awesome. Vicki Prater has been at my library for quite a long time. I think I might have scared Vicki Prater when I first got there with my button makers and my 3D printers and my good vibey vibes. Because Vicki is really great at story times. Vicki is really great at customer service. But having worked with Vicki for a year, I knew I couldn't just be like, learn the 3D printer, do it right now, this is what we do. That would be bad, Vicki would hate me. I don't think Vicki hates me. Vicki, do you hate me? You're watching this on YouTube, I bet. <laughs> So 
for, in, for Vicky, innovation is very differently. I saw this. Uh, she runs a story time every Wednesday. It's very well. People come to it. People flock to it. And innovation that I saw Vicky come up with is she has this sign out. She puts it out every morning before her story time. She puts name tags out. I never thought of that as like a thing to do during story times. In my head, a story time was like, come on into this room. Here's a book. Yay, everything's great. But Vicky is giving everybody a name tag. She's welcoming them in. To me, that is such an innovative service for story times. I'm like, oh my god, everybody knows each other's names. Everybody feels welcome. This is innovation for Vicky Prater, and it's great. And it has made our children's section really awesome. And this is when I came up with the definition of innovation. So after this presentation, I'm going to shave my head and my beard right here. Uh, and the reason I'm doing that is because I'm going to read this. I am a person who booked himself to be speaking in Baltimore, Maryland to a group of awesome people and then double booked himself when he agreed to raise money for a local charity and shave his head at a library only to realize he wouldn't be at the library and made a split-second decision to shave his head and beard over Skype so that the folks back in the Chattanooga Public Library could giggle at their librarian shaving their head in a library. <laughs> That's a true story. So I, I raised like... <laughs> I raised like I raised 250 bucks, woo, for cancer. And um, does anybody know Jordan Sonnenblick? Yeah, Jordan Sonnenblick. He wrote Drums, Girls, and Dangerous Pie. He's at the Chattanooga Public Library today. He's speaking about his books, cancer, supporting a local cause. The local cause in Chattanooga is called Jack's Chattanoggins. Ding. Um, they're awesome. They raise a ton of money every year. They came to us and said. We want to bring this author to your library because authors' libraries, this works. What can you do? And I was like, I'll shave my head. I'll do it. I'll do it like live. People will dig it. And everybody's very excited. Then I double booked myself and I was like, oh no, okay, what happened? But I go to the newspaper. Somebody comes in and is like, Justin, you're in the newspaper. Oh my God. And I was like, oh cool, let's see myself. I took that picture in my bathroom because <laughs> um, <laughs> I, like, I needed to show my beard off and that. So. It asks the question, how innovative is Henke? He will shave his hair and beard Saturday over a live web stream in support of a local charity. I was like, to me, that's just like Skyping. But like the newspaper, that's innovation. And then it hit me. The community defines innovation. I don't have to have an answer because you all have the unique individual answer. For you... You know, bringing a 3D printer in might be innovation. For me, it might be making a catapult out of popsicle sticks, straws, and leftover craft supplies. It doesn't matter. It's innovation if your community really enjoys it. We listen. Um, librarians, we are trained to listen to reference questions. I know because I had so many reference classes in library school where they taught me to listen to people. Like, listen to what they want and find exactly what they want and give that exactly what they want. So I'm a pretty good listener. And, like, my wife has helped me, too, because she's awesome. Like, you got to listen to your wife. Uh, you got to listen to your partner, yeah. Um, so is the library. I believe, like, librarians nowadays need to sit back, listen, and interpret, and then make awesome things happen. If we can't listen, we're not going to be doing great things for our community. We've got to interpret them, too, because, you know, our community will come in and be like, yeah, we want to build this robot that's four stories high and make it have laser hands. 
Um, we can't do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> we can't make like our print books like open up and talk. Like, we have to sort of funnel their ideas and go like, okay, we can do this though to help you. That's our interpretation part. We're sort of, I, I just made friends with a sign language interpreter, and that's her job. She interprets sign language for a living. She gets pulled to hospitals to help with surgeries for uh, people that are hearing impaired. That blew my mind. That like, that's a thing. Uh, I just never knew that. So I'm living in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, it's in the south. It's not the deep south. Um, I think if I drive five minutes south into Georgia, that's the deep south. I do sometimes. I'm getting used to it. Uh, there's cool mountains. It's a cool valley. A lot of pollen. Like, <laughs> So I got, a, I got a call a year ago from some people in Chattanooga, and they said, we like what you do with teenagers. We need some help with teenagers. Will you help us? And I was like, Tennessee, man, like, that's crazy. Then I started Googling Tennessee. Tennessee has the fastest internet in the country. One gigabit per second, I think gigabit, gigabyte. I'm kind of into technology, but GBPS, we can Google that and figure it out. It's really fast. That's what I'm going to try to say. Um, you can do things like, one of the things we did at the library was we worked with the local theater company. And on our fourth floor of the library, which is our sort of maker community space, we streamed two separate dance programs. So like over at the ballet, people were dancing and doing their thing. Over at the library, people were dancing and doing their thing. It was all choreographed. And through this internet connection, we were able to create virtual objects. Hi, Rebecca. We were able to create virtual objects and hack a Microsoft Connect, which are pretty hackable and cool. For those of you that don't know what a Microsoft Connect is, it's the Big Brother is always watching you camera in front of the Xbox. Um, we hacked one of those with some help of local community members so that they could take like a virtual ball and throw it at the library over the internet to the ballet where they could throw it back and dance with it. That's kind of neat. I mean, I, I, it was neat to watch. I don't really understand it all. But it sort of showed me, it sort of broke the mold of what the internet can be. Like, you can have these, like, live big things going on when you have a gigabit internet connection. And I don't know if Baltimore is on the list for Google Fiber. Is it? No. It would be cool if you got Google Fiber. Fast internet is really cool. This is Nate Hill. Does anybody know Nate Hill? He's a great guy at the Chattanooga Public Library. I received a call from him on a Sunday. And he said, come here, play with us, work with us. I talked to the director a few days later. She liked me, I think. She dug me. She offered me the job, and I moved down a, a month later. I've been there for a year and a month now. Nate's job, I think, exemplifies what the community connector is. He listens, interprets, and finds out what the community needs. I actually talked to Nate more through Twitter than I do uh, in person at the library because Nate is always constantly out talking to any of the stakeholders in the community, anybody that has an organization that the library might match up with, anybody that um, has an interest in just being around the library. Nate will talk to them and understand what they do. And through understanding what they do, he's able to plug them into all these different spots in the library. Say you have somebody that's good at local history, Nate talks to those people. He knows where to put them and who to t set them up within the library. So Nate has been extremely instrumental in helping out the second floor of the library, which is our 0 to 18-year-old space, become this place where this fun learning stuff happens. It kickstarts innovation. 
because we're librarians. We're trained to do library stuff. We don't have to be like the ultimate hackers, computer programmers. We don't have to know everything. I thought we had to know everything because everybody thinks librarians know everything. We don't. Um, I tried to get on, um, I tried to start programming again a few years ago because I was like, I need to know this. This is the future of my job. I know the basics. I can't take it to that next level because my brain just doesn't work that way. It's like there's just a wall that I hit and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. But through community connections, through listening and interpreting what your community needs, you're able to make these connections with groups and people. These are the smart people that you can pull in from your community. Um, we have this one person, his name is Jake. He might be, he's probably gonna watch this and go, ha. Ah. Um, Jake is now 17 years old. Jake is one of the smartest dudes I know in the world. He uh, just responded to a job ad at the library and said, I wanna work here, it seems like a cool place. I have all these great things that I can do, but I don't know if you need me to do them. Do you just want me to help people and do passports? Here's what Jake can do. Jake just took another Microsoft Connect, hacked it, pointed it down at a sandbox, just a sandbox with sand in it. So you stick your hand in the sandbox and it changes color because it's projecting this neat image from the Microsoft Connect. So you stick your hand down into the sand, it turns blue and there's ripples. It's like an innovative sandbox. Kids can still play with the sand and build things, but now they've got this added layer of technology. So Jake is this guy who we just met through the community, who now brings this awesome thing to the library. It's kickstarting innovation because I don't think any of us could have done that before. So what does what would what would a, what would a sandbox do? Like a lot of people ask, like this is great. This is a sandbox where kids can play. What can it do for them? It can teach them that with technology, there's an endless amount of possibilities. Um, the technology that you get just because it does this one thing, just because it runs Windows or something like that, it doesn't mean that you can hack, can't hack it and do all these different things. It teaches the community that technology can make the future possible. Do you wanna talk about makerspaces? That's a buzzword right now. Who has a makerspace? One? I see that, yeah, half-ish. That should be a number. <laughs> Point five. <laughs> so Google is awesome. I love Google and I love Wikipedia. I like to just hit define this. This is the definition of a makerspace because of Wikipedia. Sounds cool, sounds great. Oh my gosh, we need one in libraries. We definitely need one, everybody needs one. It's a place where the community can connect and everybody's happy and everybody can build and pff, we're the greatest thing on earth. It's not true, I don't think. I don't think we all need makerspaces. What I mean by I don't think we all need makerspaces is that we don't need to set aside a room where we put the 3D printer and the button maker and whatever else there is, the robots. We need to take the makerspace ideas, thinking, building, creating, connecting. We need to weave it in all that we do. This is in Atlanta, I think Atlanta. Michael Casey, who's a great librarian, took this photo, said, please use this in your programs. I like this so much because the 3D printer is right next to the bookshelves. It connects. It's not hidden away from the books. It's a place where they can play with the 3D printer, turn around, sit down, work on programs or whatever they do in schools. I've, I haven't been in school for a while. What do they do in schools? Do they learn still? <laughs> and then there's books. <clears throat> it connects everything nicely together. 
The makerspace being part of the whole central library system creates this like web of learning. It's not just this unique thing that's only for geeks and freaks and all that stuff. The makerspace is for everyone. And makerspace is um, totally, totally, as I've said, I, I will say this till the day I die, it's not about 3D printers and it's not about the fanciest, coolest things, Arduinos and Raspberry Pis. Gita Graham took this and I just went up to Alberta, Canada and she shared this with me. This is their pinata making class. That is awesome. Like, I, it is the word decoupage, like whatever that glue is, it's slimy and I think when I was in first grade I ate a lot of it because it's delicious. <laughs> and paper, you have all these great things. This is a makerspace. This is what kids, tweens, and teen librarians have been doing for many, 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 many years. I might, I'll get off my soapbox, but I think the youth services librarians, if you're interested in how to do a makerspace and do it right, talk to those people, because they've been doing it a lot. Those are the people that you want to um, hit up for ideas. So what is a makerspace? I just went all through that. I should have had that slide before, but I didn't. Whoops. It doesn't, don't get bogged down in the details. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Don't worry about all the supplies that you have. Don't worry what it has in it. It'll, it'll grow naturally. We started with a button maker on the second floor of the Chattanooga Public Library. It's a button maker on a crappy old table. People came up to the button maker, used it, got used heavily. We were at a point where there was a line for the button maker. So we had to think on our toes, like, what do we do next? And the great idea, I forget who came up with it, said, well, like, we have this light box that people can trace images. We have all this paper. We have an abundance of colored pencils. Libraries have an abundance of colored pencils and crayons. <laughs> it's like we buy stock from Crayola. Why don't you just set up a table next to this button maker that's an art table? It's not the sexiest idea in the world, but it works. Now people can make their own button ideas. They can make their own button shapes and designs and images. They're not just cutting things out of comic books. Those are supplies that happen naturally. After that, it grew, it kept growing. We knew we had this thing where people wanted to make in the library while they were coming to get computers or books or whatever it is. We knew they wanted to make, I had pleaded my case to the director. I said, it's time that we get a 3D printer. And I'll talk about how we got the 3D printer a little later. It's a really cool kind of story. I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer about makerspaces. I'm going to say, this is who does, the community again. This is on our fourth floor of the library. The fourth floor of the Chattanooga Public Library has sort of become one of the most public makerspaces in the country. It's a 14,000 square foot space, big open white walls, concrete floor. You can really do anything with it. We have three 3D printers up there, a vinyl cutter, a laser cutter, IMAX, um, a, a zine library where people can make their own zines, a Xerox machine for them to do that. If you don't know what zines are, they're sort of like handheld, like little magazines that people put together on different topics that they like. But the community wanted the fourth floor to also be a space where they meet. This is actually taken at the, um, everybody knows who Mozilla is, correct? They made Firefox and they also are very interested in funding technology innovation. So they're really into Chattanooga right now because of our internet. So Mozilla came in and they invested some money into the community and said we need to throw an event where we talk about Mozilla and we share ideas. Excuse me, the fourth floor became that space where we connected and shared. 
I also remember one of the coolest first days, first week or first month at the library I remember was that we were printing on 3D printing on one side of the fourth floor. And then on the other side of the fourth floor, there was the firefighters pension group chatting with like the local government about their pension and how we're going to work this all out because there's politics and stuff like that. And I was like, that is beautiful because it really shows what a makerspace can be. Like they're making a decision about their pension. They're collaborating together, working together to find the best possible way to use taxpayer money to make sure the firefighters are cool, the city's cool, everything's good. We're 3D printing right over there too. So to me, that's what a makerspace is. The community defines it. Informal learning. Public, oh, whoa. Public schools um, seem to be getting behind in this country. Uh, we're not teaching kids all the technology stuff they need. We're not teaching them all the skills they need to get out into the world. I know when I graduated from college, grad school, and all that stuff, I said this in the morning. I don't think I was prepared at all. I just thought I'd go punch in in the morning, punch out, go home, and that would be my job. I had no idea how political libraries could be, how much planning that is constantly going on in my head, how like if I'm out at the grocery store, there might be a teenager there who comes up to me and is like, Mr. Justin, what's up? Let's go play video games. Can you check in this book for me? Sorry, dude, it's Sunday. Like, How do I handle that? You're always sort of on the clock. You're always sort of performing. I've developed my sort of online presence as Justin the librarian as sort of a cartoon guy because I sort of feel like I always have to be on. I have to ha adopt this new persona that's not just the dad and husband and guy who sits on his porch. So informal learning is something that the library needs to do to support the community. You need to take what you have and make the best of it. You have tables, you have chairs, you have people that have unique talents. I'm good at video games. My coworker Megan is great at crafts. The gentleman in the very cool white and blue checkered thing shirt, as I, what's the design, plaid? I'm really, what? Gingham. I just learned something new, thank you. Wow. That's James. James is a mathematician who was hanging out at the library, and he was just hanging out, and he wasn't getting paid, but he was helping out with everything, so we decided to give him a 20-hour-a-week job. James works on our fourth floor now. Here he is running our Arduino hack night. He's working with some people in the community that are really good at Arduinos, some people that are just learning. And an amazing amount of learning happens at this Arduino hack night. Um, we're giving people the tools, and we're giving them the opportunity to share and create new things and try new things. This is, uh, I use this slide a lot. You'll probably remember this from the morning. Informal learning happens when you just take everything what you have, gym mats, carpets, and a few computers. We're using Google Chromebooks because they're cheap, um, and some of them are recycled, just because that's what we have around. We know we need to make this Arduino thing happen for our community because our community really wants to learn how to hack and play with an Arduino. So this informal learning happens while we're all sitting on the ground, we're playing around, we're listening to music, we're just talking and chatting. Sometimes we get to the final product, sometimes we don't. But the important thing is this process, this experience that we're having. I talked about this in the morning, too. We have a record player. You would think, why a record player? Well, most people under 15, am I generalizing there? 15 don't know what a record is. They don't even know what a physical format is these days. I mean, I don't think my kids do. Um, 
My kids at home use Netflix and YouTube to watch things. That's just the way it is these days. So we got a record player donated to us, cheap, uh, actually not cheap, free. We set it up, we teach them how to use the records, how to take care of the records. Here we are sampling the records. We just sit around and do this randomly. It's not like a set program like, okay, on Thursday from four to five, we're gonna play with records. It has become one of those things like, what are you interested in in the library? Tell me what you're interested in learning. If we can facilitate that for you right now, we'll do that. So we had some kids come in. We taught them how to sample a record crudely. And then we made a freaky avant-garde Brian Eno-esque sound recording full of like chirping and drum beats. We have to remember learning is fun. Um, I didn't think learning was fun. I went to a lot of different schools as a kid, and I dreaded it. I never wanted to go to school. I woke up, and I could not wait for that bell to ring at 2.20, I remember. So I got out of school at 2.20. One of my favorite times at school, the only time I skipped school, was when the Weezer album Pinkerton came out. September 24, 1996. I left at 2.15. I could not wait to get out. And I, got so, I, and I realize now that I think about this story, I have learned more from Weezer's Pinkerton than I ever did in school. Because it was fun, it was awesome, it was a great album. It taught me how to sort of be a weirdo, I guess. But the fun thing is a place where libraries can excel. We don't have to give tests to people. We don't have to give them those things where they fill in the little dots. Standardized tests, right? That always made me think of cookies and I got really hungry. They were like, chocolate chips. Oh, chips ahoy, now I want that. We should make that happen later. Learning is fun. Learning is sitting around, just doing things. Um, James, the mathematician dude who now works for the library, he is very much like, he's trained in education. The guy understands how to do a lesson plan, which I don't. Um, he's just really good at this stuff. But James makes learning fun because he does it in an informal setting. You don't have to be there the whole time. You can pull up a chair on the ground. You don't have to pay attention to him. There's the tools in front of you. You can make it happen. But James is also great to have around because there's Justin, who I'm all good vibrations and fun and sunshine, and let's have a great time, party on Wayne, party on Garth. That's not going to work all the time. Like, There's got to be a little bit of substance to it. So having James around with an education background, he can get to that point where it's really a lot of learning stuff. He can get us to that, and then Justin jumps in and says, let's make it fun, let's make it awesome. And together, it's like a Batman and Robin brew of awesomeness in the library where we have this good balance. We are in a very unique position to support learning. Like I said before, we don't have to have the standardized test. We don't have to do all that kind of stuff. We also can be open to whatever the community wants us to do. Um, that's not the case in like schools. I think Common Core, I keep hearing about these things, STEM, STEAM, Common Core, 40 developmental assets. Those things are awesome, but like, they're not really like, they're tough. You gotta go to school to learn those things. And I'm not going back to school because I'm 33 and I'm like, done. Like, forget it, I wanna play video games with my kids now. I'm gonna retire in five years. <laughs> I, I sort of, I'm trying to. I want to have a bed and breakfast. I think that's my next step. Bed and breakfast that acts as a public library. We'll get there. <laughs> Maybe you'll read about me someday or just the failure of Justin. That's okay. But we have this great chance to support unique individual learning because we can say to these people, 
here's all these resources. What do you want us to buy for you? What can we add to our collection to help this community? What can we do for the community to help support learning? Technology is helpful. I don't want to stand up here and say, like, technology isn't necessary. Technology is expensive. It's scary. Stay away. It's helpful. But it's not everything. Uh, we, we have Currently, we have 55 Google Chromebooks at the Chattanooga Public Library. We purchased them with help of a grant that helped run our summer code camp, which I believe I will talk about again. Um, but technology can be cheap. We view these Google Chromebooks, which were $200 a piece, as glorified internet browsing machines. They can also do some great things. You can download apps from the Google App Store to write HTML, edit text, do kinds of things like that. Google Docs is amazing. Like, who would pay for Microsoft Word these days? I don't know. That's expensive, right? I think so. Google Docs is free. This is all streaming through Google Docs right now, actually. Um, so we view the Google Chromebooks as this technology that is very helpful, that is very cheap. But what if the Google Chromebooks break? We're not worried about them breaking. If they break, they are $200 machines. We have invested in them. We got some time out of them. It's like sort of sending them off to war for a bit and they come back. If they can't, we can't send them back out. Like, we're not going to send them back out. We, they have had a great purpose. They have served their purpose. They have done well. We are going to recycle you next. I think that really blew my mind when I saw technology as disposable. Um, we tend to hang on to our iPhones, like, oh my god, I can never get rid of this. I'm going to put it in its original box now that I got a new phone. I'm going to save it in this closet forever. Who does that? I do. I still do. And I just broke my iPhone four hours ago. I dropped it on the floor, and I'm like, what am I going to do with this iPhone? And I'm probably going to put it in a box at home um, and get one on my way back from the airport. But um, now seeing that technology is disposable, I can say, this is OK. It's a temporary thing. This is just an iPhone. There are other iPhones out there. I can get a flip phone, because all that I need to do is call people. I need to just call my mom, basically. That's all. Call your mother. That's the message of this story. <laughs> technology can be old. We have a Miss Pac-Man machine, because I found it on Craigslist for $125. My wife did, actually. We bring in retro video games. We have an Apple Lisa. Does anybody remember those? Yes. They're weird looking. We have one up on our fourth floor. It doesn't work a lot of the times, but it's there because it's something neat to show off and something neat to share. Somebody might be able to use that for something someday. I don't know. Maybe. Um, somebody just donated an iPod Touch to the second floor because they noticed I was streaming Super Mario Brothers speedruns onto a wall with my phone, and they said, you shouldn't have your phone like out in public all the time, and like you're using your data plan, and like shouldn't the library pay for that? And I was like, eh, don't worry. Like we always do that as librarians. Don't we always buy chips and snacks and just say whatever? I know educators do that a lot too to support their classrooms. But somebody donated an iPod Touch that we keep at our—I don't want to call it a desk. It's more like our fort on the second floor where we all hang out and chat and eat and all that stuff. And we just run that iPod Touch all the time. It's old. It's like one of the first iPod Touches. It's slow, but it runs YouTube videos that we can share with the community. Experience in public libraries, I think, is key. Who wants to walk into a library that just has like stacks of books that are like way up there that nobody can reach without the help of like a crane? Or who wants to walk into a library where there's a big, honking, intimidating desk, bless you, 
with these librarians crouched over and hiding, and they don't want to help you. Who wants to walk into that building? Nobody does. I know Walmart might be evil. I don't know. But when I walk into Walmart, which I do sometimes, which I just did, because they have some good cheap dog food, and I just got a dog, and I don't know how to raise a dog, so I just go to Walmart and get the food. How do you raise a dog? Can somebody help me after? <laughs> um, she just licked a bunch of paint out of a paint can. Is that going to kill her? She seems slow now. Okay, whatever. But I walked into Walmart, and there's always that greeter there. And the greeter gives my sons, like, a smiley face sticker. And the greeter's like, here's a shopping cart. I mean, I don't know what Walmart, they don't seem to pay their employees and offer health care and stuff, but, like, they made me feel really good. Like, I felt so welcome in Walmart. And when I felt welcome in Walmart, my brain started wandering. Oh, yeah, I have to get, um... I have to get dog food here, but maybe I should just look at the flat-screen TVs because they might be cheaper. And my wife's been kicking around. She might let me buy a flat-screen TV. I almost bought a flat-screen TV on Thursday. I didn't because um, I was like, pull it in, Justin. You have to eat this weekend. <laughs> but the experience that they gave me as I walked in the door was so nice and comforting that I felt very comfortable in a Walmart that I almost spent like 500 extra dollars. Think about experiences in public libraries, how you walk in that door and people say, hello, my name is so-and-so. Can I help you find anything? Do you want to play with our 3D printer? Because I sort of want to. That would make me, like, even if I was scared to death of a 3D printer, go, okay, I'll totally do that if you want to. Oh, that's awesome. This is another. I use, I use a lot of the same pictures because, man, they just, like, warm my heart. Megan came from Maine. We stole her. And she jumped right into this library thing. She would just sit there and wait for people to come off the stairs, wait for people to come off the elevator, and she would jump on them. Hi, I'm Megan. Nice to meet you. She's very hyperactive, which is a good way because I'm sort of chill and old man now. This kid never has spoke to me. He was very much, I don't know, scared of me, maybe not scared of me, maybe just shy. This photo of him and Megan laughing over 3D printing sort of sums it up. She grabbed him by the hand. She's like, what do you want to do in the library? It's my first day here. <laughs> Took him to the 3D printer. They 3D printed something that I cannot think of what that is. It looks sort of like a spaceship castle thing. Kids 3D print weird things, by the way. Uh, most popular request, can I make a gun? It's interesting, but it does open a great conversation. Why would you want to make a gun, sir? What do you plan on doing after the library? Um, turns out that they understand that killing is bad. They just want to pack heat. <laughs> I think there's an amendment about that. They can, right? I don't know. Um, experience is important. Because this kid came off the elevator. Megan grabbed him by the hand, taught him about the 3D printer. He comes in once, twice a month now. He's got that smile on his face. He knows this is a happy, good place that he can be himself in. He, he goes to the arcade a lot now on the second floor because he loves video games. And I don't know if, like, it wasn't an inviting experience if he would have came back. But I like to think that, you know, Megan just being that experience maker brought him back to the library. We're big on branding in Chattanooga. If you, um, we, we're coming up with a brand new brand in a few months. It'll be unveiled. You'll probably see it on our website. I'm very excited about it. I'm not going to tease any more of it. But it's so cool. It reminds me of Legos and cuteness. This is our brand for coffee. Um, down to the little things, the coffee that you serve in the library, you could easily just put up one of those, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, Keurig. Is that it? 
I did it, finally. You could put one of those machines up on a front desk and say, here's some coffee, a dollar, whatever. Or if you're going to serve coffee, you can take it to the next level and say, you know what? We're going to get our own special brew. We're going to talk to these. There's always local coffee brewers or roasters or I don't remember what they're called. Roasters. Talk to them in your community. Say, listen, we would like to pay you to get our own special roast, whatever you want to do. We just want to serve coffee to people. Our director had this great idea to call it Shush Cafe. Librarians, that's a stereotype. <laughs> um, but it works out really well because now people are like, I'm going to grab a cup of shush. And everybody in Chattanooga knows what that is. It's a cup of coffee at the library. And the branding has worked so well. Uh, our circulation staff runs the cafe. So they're checking in and out books, dealing with all the holds, dealing with the people, and making mochas on the side. They were a little bit like, it's not my job at first. <laughs> But we gave them training. They embraced it. I remember one of the dudes that we work with, his name's Donnie. He went out and bought aprons for everybody. He's like, Donnie, uh, if you're ever in Chattanooga, here's a plug. Donnie makes the best like drinks. So I'm sorry, everybody else, but it's true. Donnie makes great drinks. And he's really like, what do I want to say? He's really like lived this shush image, this experience. Like, you get shush at the library. It's our brand. We love it. Rock and roll. Experience. We had a 50. We had a code camp for 50 teenagers over the summer. We took our whole second floor. We carved off a section of it. We made it sort of a informal classroom. We gave them Google Chromebooks. We let them come and go as they please. We didn't want them to be like, "Here's the classroom. You're learning HTML today. If you don't, I'm very mad at you." They just sort of ran around. We have a our, our library is going wireless. Um, the reason being is everybody has laptops, iPads, iPhones. Who wants to be connected to anything anymore? It's not really like we don't do that as much as a society. We're carrying our things around. So these kids, we would give them a brief lesson. We'd send them off on their way to work on their lesson. Then we would do some, we called it unplugged activities. We gave them origami paper and made them make pixel art on the walls. We gave them programs that we wrote out and instructed them to program their friends. So like, you know, here's HTML that describes how you make a circle. Now make your friend make a circle by giving him directions and interpreting the HTML. It was an experience that they had through multiple areas of the library. Public ownership. I am big on the library being the communities. Somebody's getting married. I was, I was told to tell people that somebody was getting married and there might be a beautiful woman or man in a dress. I don't know. <laughs> Okay, but those bells are beautiful, though. Wow. This, the ownership thing is big. How many times do you walk into a library and you're like, oh, I can't touch that. I can't play with that. I can't do this. The wonderful Meg Bacchus. Um, we stole her from Syracuse, New York. We steal a lot of people. Like, we just want them to be in Chattanooga. She stuck this on the 3D printer. If you have a library card, this is your printer. It has been our most tweeted image from our Twitter page and our most viewed image on our Flickr page. Yes, we still have a Flickr page. Um, but I think this really was the moment at the Chattanooga Public Library where we said, these tools, everything that we have, let's break down the iron curtain of librarianship and bring it all out and let people play with it. I think that's a very important thing for our community to play with things and feel ownership. That They walk in and we let them know, like, this 3D printer, I will teach you how to sort of interpret it. 
but did you know that like your taxpayer dollars paid for this? So this is sort of yours. And it blows their mind when you say that to them. I know, especially with kids and teens, when they find out that their parents are paying taxes to support the library, they're like, oh my God, so this is like part mine, part his, like we all own it together? Yes, rock and roll. This is Maggie, or it might be Maddie. I can't remember. I want to say Maddie, but I know a Maddie, and she is older, and this is Maggie, we'll say. <laughs> when I got to the uh, second floor of the Chattanooga Public Library, like I said, we had button makers, art tables, and duct tape and spit to run um, programs. The fourth floor had a fancy 3D printer and computers hooked up to it, so all the kids would run upstairs and play with their 3D printer, and I was like, man, this is sort of a bummer. No kids are coming to me and all that stuff. Wine, I'm a whiner. Oh. But Maggie here said, you know, I like the second floor a lot. It's kind of cool. Why don't you get them a 3D printer? Which got passed down the channel, and our director heard it and was like, yeah, we got to get a 3D printer for Maggie on the second floor. So what I like to say about the 3D printer at the uh, Chattanooga Public Library is the fourth floor got it first, they did all the nasty stuff with it. They figured out how to break it, make it work, do all this stuff. And they became the masters of the 3D printer because that's what they did. And then eventually, because some kids ran up there and monopolized their 3D printer, the second floor in the kids area and the teen area got one, thanks to Maggie. And now I didn't really have to work out a lot of the kinks. I got to set it up and play a lot. So this library is sort of a beta testing lab. The fourth floor beta tests everything, sends it down to the second floor. We'll play with it, we'll do more. We sort of beta test it and then send it out to the branches. It's all in the name of play and exploration. And that's how good things get done. Um, if you're not gonna play with things, if you're not gonna explore them, then it's not gonna work, you're not gonna understand it. This is a new and exciting way to work for libraries. Um, how many jobs like do your directors say like, have fun, go play some games. Like, it doesn't really happen much. I remember fighting for video games in libraries when I first started. I remember fighting for, like, you know, Cheetos to happen at programs. Pizza. It's hard to get pizza at library programs. Like, why should we feed these people? Because they're hungry. <laughs> <laughs> this is a new and exciting and scary, 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 scary way to work. But it's a good way to work. We're working alongside our community. This is the great Meg Backus who put that sticker on the the 3D printer. We, um, one day we were out of program ideas just for the day. It was like a slow day. You know, my brain doesn't work sometimes. It happens. So Meg was like, I'm going to teach kids Scratch. So within an hour, she was like, I'm going to play with Scratch for an hour, and then I'm going to teach your class that's coming in, in at 5 o'clock and teach them Scratch. She did. I got to wander around and take great pictures and tweet them, and it felt really cool because people retweeted them, and ah, Everybody loves that. But the new way for us to work is right next to our community. Get right in their faces. They'll get right in our faces. Let's learn and solve problems together. This is the, this is the iPhone photo that I told you about with the magnetic case. Magnetic, no. The magnetic sticker that has lenses. This was also taken by Zach. Zachary. I was calling him Zach. Man, I'm bad. Zachary loves photography. Zachary wants to take photos of everything. Zachary is homeschooled and wants to be a photographer when he grows up. So he also wants to volunteer at the library. So I should totally make him clean books all the time, right? No. Zach would, Zachary would kill me if I had him clean books all the time or shelf. So I said to Zachary, when you come to the library, whenever you want to volunteer, 
you bring camera stuff. And I will just say, take pictures of this, take pictures of that. Make sure everybody that you're taking pictures of is cool with it. Talk to the parents. So Zachary's now socializing with all the people in his community. He's getting better at photography. He's getting to try his new toy toys. And he's giving us these photos, which are totally killer. Like, I get all, a lot of these photos are by Zachary. Why? Because he's just really good at it. I just have an iPhone that's half broken, and I take pictures. That's, I'm not a photographer. And a new way to work differently, too, is uh, I've, I've talked about the, um, what did I call it before, the fort idea. This is our fort. It does look like a desk. It looks like a table. It's, it's a table with crap on it, basically. We surround ourselves with all the tools that we need, all the fun toys. Our record player is right in front of this. So kids come up, they can play with the record player. Pretty soon, I'm going to put the iPod Touch out with the Sphero ball, which is a robotic ball that you can make spin around with an iPod Touch. It's kind of easy, kind of cool. So that way, they have to come to us to play with these toys. They talk to us. They can pull up a chair. If they want to watch YouTube videos with me, I'm totally into watching YouTube videos. I do it all the time at home. But our new big job is constantly proving our worth to our community. Without our community, without their support, without their funding, we're nothing. So getting out there and being an advocate for the library, being an advocate for all of your programs, being an advocate for the community that you serve. Um, I just got, uh, I guess, I, I just got hired to write a blog for a local foundation. Uh, they, they saw me and they said, you work well with kids, tweens, and teens. Will you be the representative for Chattanooga in talking about what kids, tweens, and teens do and want? That's awesome. That's like my new job. I get to write about the community and how good it is to serve kids, tweens, and teens. So I'm a little bit early in getting done. Is that okay? Cool. I raced through that one, man. Whew. Thank you for having me. Um, so I think at 4 o'clock, I'm going to innovatively shave my head on stage. Um, that's Kojak. Does anybody remember? He's so cool. He's so cool. So my aim for the end of the day is to look like that and say, who loves you, baby? A lot. Um, this, was, this was so wonderful to be here, and I thank you for having me. We can always be in touch through the internet.